language, you should be including, if you're a, an e-commerce merchant, you should be including specific language in your terms and your conditions that, that gives you the flexibility to appoint the broker, to account for that clearance, to manage that. Before we get started with the show, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Global Training Center. As trade compliance professionals, you want to make sure that your procedures and documentation are completed as correctly as possible to avoid any delays and possible fines. We provide a range of trade compliance courses that will fit your needs. From in-person or web training to recorded on-demand courses, we can train one or even thousands on your team through your learning platform or on our portal. We can even customize a private session for your team. Go to globaltrainingcenter.com to find out more. In today's world, it is, uh, you know, you can, especially in social media, I'm going to be here or I'm going there or whatever. And and uh, with uh, the internet, software programs and innovation and different things, it's, uh, it's opening up things where, you know, you can have a small business from home and be able to uh, sell product online, have it manufactured and shipped directly to the client. And you don't even have a brick and mortar. Yeah, I mean, you don't even touch the right. uh, the product. Right. So I mean, I'm, not I'm, even warehouse it. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy because sometimes you don't even need to warehouse it or worry about it, you know. And uh, someone in uh, across the world or locally, it doesn't matter, you know, could be sourcing mm-hmm. that for you. And, uh, and uh, you can uh, pretty much just reach anybody that way. And, uh, you know, and of course, with that come the challenges of how to get it somewhere, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, the proverbial term, as it's been called, is e-commerce. So right. with e-commerce, <laughs> uh, that umbrella has encompassed a lot of things, but the vast majority of e-commerce is transacted within the uh, postal and, and uh, express uh, you know, transportation modes. It can go different modes, you know, through all the modes, but pretty much uh, I would say I would probably estimate, and this is just uh, Andy's guesstimation here, <laughs> 90% of it probably moves through Postal and Express World. So we're going to get to talk today uh, with Sir Thomas here uh, about uh, e-commerce and, and whatnot. So uh, um, let's see. Put me in Taggart. All right. Sorry, bud. I just like my memories as long <laughs> as a turtle's tail and just as fast. So my apologies there. Uh, <laughs> we're we're going to be talking with Thomas Taggart, and he's going to talk a little bit about the e-commerce world and the supply chain thereof. And I guess some of the do's and don'ts are some of the headaches that uh, people get themselves into. So welcome to our show there, Thomas. Yeah. And then, uh, just so everybody knows, Thomas does work for... Um, a company called Passport, um, which which is uh, that's how I found them. You know, I'm a techie at heart, and uh, that's my background. So, and I'm sure everybody in the show already knows that, and is tired of hearing me saying that. But, uh, <laughs> and so um, that's how I found who they were. Anything that's new and innovative in the trade world tends to pique my interest. And in, let's say I don't know, Thomas probably knows this better, but maybe three or four years ago when y'all were hitting the market, you know, it came up and hit my radar, and so I thought, wow. What a good company. And so we started this podcast and I thought there would be a good guest on, on the show. So that's why we have Thomas, mostly because here at Global Training Center, we get a lot of those calls, uh, Andy, where people say, hey, um, I'm going to start an import-export business. Um, 
what do I do? I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a big old can of worms there, right? So um, the problem is that uh, a lot of our training uh, tends to encompass people who have been in the business and not like a, a fresh start. And so, you know, I usually point them to resources such as Thomas's company. So, um, so anyway, just as a brief intro, that's what I wanted to um, clarify a little bit on that too. So. Well, it's going to be great. And, and Thomas, I, I'll, I'll tell you with the, uh, the e-commerce world and things that are getting set up there. Um, let me stop for a second for our listeners. Here's some of the things that you need to be listening to. If you are a service provider, listen to some of the topics that we're hitting here so that you know, you know, software vendors, you're, you're going to know who to go to. For our listeners now is that uh, some of the takeaways, if you're a service provider, uh, one of the things you need to be looking at is some of the topics that we're hitting, some of the questions, uh, problems, and all that, so you know how to handle it. But more specifically, if you are a person in a company and you're dealing with some kind of e-commerce supply chain issues or whatnot, this would be something that you uh, need to listen to and jot down your ideas and then, uh, and some of your questions and whatnot. Follow back up with us because let me tell you, there's not one answer that fits all, but there generally is going to be, you know, some expertise that can look at a situation for you and you can take it and, and, and they can give you some advice that would fix a problem real quick. So. Thomas, with that, let's uh, go ahead and jump in. And uh, where would you like to start for uh, today? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about what we do and then how we, we got into these these topics here. So Passport primarily works with these U.S. Uh, e-commerce merchants that you mentioned, some that uh, may have no physical presence, may have uh, no inventory in their garage. They're, they're using a 3PL or fulfillment center to uh, manage all their distribution. And they have an online store where they've created a product and and built a brand around that product and are looking to uh, ship it to uh, consumers around the world. And and that's our goal is to really help uh, these brands, as we say, achieve their global potential, help them reach uh, consumers all around the world. Excellent. Excellent. So if I am starting a business... And I have a widget that I'm going to sell online. So I have my online store, whether it's Amazon or my own website or Etsy or some of the other ones out there. I get set up. I've got, you know, marketing it. And now I start getting orders in and start processing it. Where do you go from there? How can you give advice or would you step in at that point and continue to help uh, somebody get set up in this? Or do I already need to have an arrangement with my factory and those kinds of things? Yeah, we could. We, we typically uh, pick it up once uh, a brand has uh, some good volume in, in U.S. sales. That's uh, most often where, where they will start. And they uh, will start seeing orders come in or inquiries come in more often from around the world. And often it's your your usual suspects there, other English speaking countries like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, UK, some Western Europe, they'll they'll get emails online, they'll get uh, chats or requests, hey, I love your product, I I saw it on this influencer site, I'd love to order it. And many of the brands start out with just no international shipping policy at all. And that's where we we try to come in and uh, help them open up new markets. And really through three things on, on this side. Uh, the first is really the, the, the fiscal and 
tax compliance? How do I get my products to a consumer overseas without having to set up a business entity overseas, without having to go through an expensive accounting firm? And how do I manage the, these indirect taxes that are part of the, the international shipping experience? And then, of course, you have the, the customs and trade side. Can I actually ship this product to that country? Uh, what are the import requirements? Are there any restrictions around this, this item itself? And the last piece is really around the, the market and the product compliance. Uh, we have uh, a lot of brands in the personal care space, uh, healthcare, uh, health and beauty, uh, nutritional supplements and vitamins, cosmetics, cosmetics absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get into are my ingredients allowed in this country? And if so, what are the concentration levels that I have to be concerned with? Are there chemicals that are prohibited? Uh, do I need an import license because this uh, has collagen that's made from from beef and, and uh, customers and, and, and customs authorities are a little squeamish about uh, bovine products? So uh, those are really the three, the customs and trade, the fiscal side, and then the, the product and market itself is uh, where we try to focus to help brands open up new markets. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So as you're going through that, you have a software package then too, in addition to your advising side of things that would help somebody track all of these things or what? Yeah. Well, a lot of it, that's uh, on the onboarding side. If we need to do an ingredient or a chemical review to make sure that uh, the the items are, are permissible in that market. But the, the key is with the, the commodity classification, the HS code, helping them identify the, the proper uh, full HS code for that destination, but also the commodity description that's going to describe the product without doing so in a way that's going to cause some uh, issues with uh, with customs. Uh, you'll see brands often use a marketing description like Orange Passion Fruit Bliss, and that's that's great. It's a good name for a candle. But when, when customs sees orange and passion fruit, they're thinking it's fresh produce and, and not a candle. So that's where we help them try to sort out, here's a proper HS code for this, this item, but also here's a product description that helps uh, the customs agency understand what this product is uh, without raising unnecessary flags because it's being misinterpreted as something that's not. And landing cost is the, the big thing there. So. Well, well, and definitely. And I will say regarding the uh, description, one of the most abused descriptions probably in history is parts. People will put parts down. Well, in their world, they may understand it, but you know, to a customs person, to somebody in general, is like, you know what? The way I always described it, uh, parts is not a good description because is it auto parts, computer parts, chicken parts? I mean, it makes a difference on how you clear it. So it's like, you know, what are we talking about there? So it, it's uh, you, you need to have a good description so that if you looked at it. In my opinion, a sixth grader can, you know, look at, read that and, and tell what it is. And then you're generally going to be, okay, this is good. You know, men's cotton shirt. Okay, got it. Uh, that helps a lot. But anyway, saying that, then your harmonized tariff, like you said, in that any special declarations as far as export and import countries um, and all those kinds of things. So all that goes fine, well, and good. So, what, uh, in from your perspective, what is the mode of transportation that 
uh, you see used most? Is it the post office or express carriers or about half? Yeah, it's really a mix of three things. Uh, the first would be the, the postal options. Uh, the, the next is a, an air freight uplift with a, a customs clearance and then dropping it into a final mile carrier. Uh, markets like Europe are, are much more advanced where you have dozens of final mile carriers to select from. It, it's not just FedEx or UPS or USPS. Uh, there, there's dozens. And the last, I think, would be the express carriers as as an option. The the challenge is just uh, on the express carrier side, do you want it there in two days or three days? Is that, that's really it. And that's very expensive. So uh, somewhere in between those three blends, uh, you want to balance time and time and transit and cost and, and find something that makes sense for uh, for that merchant uh, selling those products. Individual orders, uh, order values often $75 around that range. So it's uh, obviously not economical to, uh, to pay 40 bucks in transportation for a $70 item. It's really a combination of, of those three uh, options to, to help merchants balance that uh, cost and time of transit. What about valuation? When somebody is importing, uh, what are some of the things you see when people are trying to, I mean, one of the things coming into the U.S., <clears throat> if it's less than, uh, what is it, 800, you can take advantage of the de minimis. And uh, other countries' de minimis levels are, are different. But that all said, uh, still, what do you see as far as valuation goes, uh, the challenges or what uh, people send, seem to try and do? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and the good news is most often the there is a transaction that's already taken place. An order has been has been placed, so the the value should be pretty straightforward, right? It's uh, it's the value of the product or what they paid for it online, and if it's a CIF country, also you know, the cost of the transportation and insurance that that would be included as well. I think where where merchants get hung up is. Uh, really two things there. First, for, for most U.S. merchants, uh, the idea of, of indirect taxes is a little foreign, right? We, we have sales tax, but it's not the same as a value-added tax that gets passed on down the, the, the chain of this order. And uh, whether it's a value-added tax or a, or a goods and services tax, the whole concept of, a, of an indirect tax can be a little confusing for U.S. merchants who are exporting for the first time. But the biggest thing I think for, for e-commerce merchants is they're often giving goods away. They're, they're giving products to influencers, uh, swimsuits, uh, cosmetics, uh, as we were talking about, right? People who are uh, recording TikTok videos and, and using their products and promoting their products. So they want to be able to get their products to, to influencers and friends or, around the world. But it's very hard for them to grasp this concept that that thing still has a value for customs, even though this person did not pay for it. Uh, they, and they often want to ship things as, as goods or samples or uh, just zero value or one cent or 10 cent. And, and that's what we try to educate brands on is even though the, there may have been no transaction associated here, you're, you're giving this thing away as a company. You cannot gift something to a, a private individual. Only private individuals can give gifts to, to private individuals. So helping them understand what the, the proper value for that would be is, uh, is a real challenge. Well, you can, even as a company, you can send something as a no charge to the recipient. However, to your point, and you're making a very good point here. So this is vitally important where a lot of times what you're trying to accomplish 
is just like you said, you're sending a sample of your product to some influencers or to some key people to take a look at, touch, feel, do all that kind of stuff. When you do that, if your goods are being sourced from a foreign source and you're sending it in, then you need to be considering to have it set up as if there is a tax or if there is an issue with that shipment, you need to be the one controlling the clearance of that shipment, not your ship to party. So now you're getting into either bill as I, I, I simplify it to bill shipper for duties and taxes, which would be like a DDP transaction, duty delivery paid scenario type of a transaction. Or if you're a resident, let's say you're, you're here in the U.S., you're sourcing it from offshore and your ship two parties in the U.S. Well, now you need to be looking at billing it as a third party where you're the U.S. resident entity for clearance and go from there. Now, even if it's de minimis. Hi, everyone. Are you loving our podcast? Do you feel like watching instead of just listening to our episodes? We have started to share our podcast videos on our trade community, www.crowd.trade, where you can view the complete show, comment, and carry conversations with your peers. We have built a trade community around our training courses and different resources for you to collaborate and gain the knowledge you are looking for. Head over to crowd.trade and register for your free account. Let's start trading. That's fine. You still need to put a value just like what you said. But for that sake, let me ask, I've given two other additional scenarios to deal with. It's a gift shipment. I I want to put zero so there's no taxes, no problems, no issues. However, you can't really do that. So, have I got that summarized like a bill shipper if it's a DDP transaction if you're a non-resident or if you're a resident company and you're selling or shipping to a resident entity that it needs to come in as a bill third party type scenario? Yeah, and I guess the, the first scenario is, is what we see most often is that uh, the, the same brand does not want the, the influencer to have to pay duties and taxes in any scenario. That's a, that's a terrible experience that you want them to use your product and now you want them to pay 100 bucks in, in duties and taxes. Uh, so the, that DDP scenario, where as you said, Bill, Bill Shipper is a lot better way to look at it. That's, uh, that's something that gets confused uh, quite often is what people mean by DDP. Uh, is it an eco term or are we really just talking about duties and taxes are paid at uh, at time of checkout when that order is placed and the, the shipper is going to handle and account for any duties and taxes on customs clearance? Thomas, you talked earlier about indirect taxes and um, I, I'm i thinking sometimes it's also confusing for a cons- not consumer, I'm sorry, for a seller here in the U.S., like selling to the UK or the EU, wherever, it doesn't matter. And um, they're, they're selling and selling and selling. Is it like, do you reach a point? I, it used to be that I, um, way back in the day, I used to travel a lot to California and I used to do some work there. And it, it got to a point where if I did a lot of work there and kind of stayed there long enough, they would, they, they were potentially, I would have to pay state taxes there, even though I didn't live there. So same, I'm trying to relate that the same way in in uh, in uh, foreign countries. Is it not the same, more or less? Um, if you reach a threshold, you need to pretty much establish yourself and pay there. Like, yeah, very much so. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. And it depends on the market. The, the EU has largely done away with what they call distant selling thresholds. So uh, today, you the best policy is to register for this new program called Import One Stop Shop. And then you don't have to worry about it. It's simple to go out and get a tax ID and then you can clear into any European country. Uh, you're all set. All 27 markets are, are open to you. But then you have markets like uh, Australia, where if you're selling more than 75,000 Australian dollars worth of goods into that uh, country a year, which is roughly 55,000 U.S. dollars, then you should register for an Australian uh, GST number and start collecting that 10% GST at checkout. Other markets are moving toward this. Singapore uh, just uh, launched a, a similar uh, program with a, with a, a distance selling uh, requirement for low value goods. Uh, you have um, Canada is probably the most confusing to customers because <laughs> there, there's a there's a threshold, but there there's a catch that that threshold only applies if you're doing business in Canada, and it's something that's often misinterpreted because. When you look at it, uh, you say, okay, well, I, I'm selling more than $35,000 worth of goods worldwide. I must register for a Canadian GST uh, tax ID, goods and services tax ID. However, that, that really only applies if you're fulfilling goods from Canada. The sales happened in Canada. So it's it gets really complex and, and hard to sort out when those distance selling thresholds apply. And it's something we spend a lot of time working with uh, tax and trade attorneys on uh, around the world to, to, to make sure that the, the guidance we're giving brands is, uh, is accurate and, and uh, it, it meets the precedent in that country. All right. So to that point, that's a, a good answer with that. I want to stop for a second for our listeners. So if you have some e-commerce that's generating and you're going in from, let's just, I'm going to say, speak from the U.S., let's say that you're selling from the U.S. into other countries. <clears throat> one of the things that you need to be doing is taking a look. It's okay to go and start talking to tax accountants and even tax attorneys, if you need them, you know, with all that, it's okay to see, can it, are there ways to avoid having to pay a tax and all that? But on the flip side of that, you want to make sure, is this something that we need to be collecting and, and then referring to the government? So in that, you, then the, the, action step of after you take that is to check out should you be collecting a tax and then secondarily that is then including that with your customer order system so that when a customer completes their order it's figuring it up in there so if you see the cause and effect absolutely and the landing cost calculation is is, is a big consideration uh, customers want to know exactly what they're paying not only for the the product itself but, but for duties and taxes and shipping and they want to pay that once, right? They, they don't want to get an invoice on delivery or an invoice in the mail and find out they're now in, in, in collections with the carrier because uh, they didn't pay $11 in duties and taxes. Any other challenges that you see that people, uh, you know, it, it, I guess a very common mistake or, or issues that they seem to be uh, fighting or, or falling into, traps they fall into on e-commerce? Yeah, a big thing, and I know many of your listeners are focused on B2B and U.S. import and freight shipments, and there are different terms that mean different things, and we've been talking about DDP versus duties and taxes of paid versus a bill shipper, and all of those things can 
can be misconstrued, in, especially in the tax side. Because if you go to, say, a European tax advisor and say, they're going to ask you, how are you shipping? What are your income terms? And you say, well, DDP, I'm, I'm collecting duties and taxes at checkout. And they're going to say, well, now you're the importer of record. So you're going to have to register yourself for a, tax, a VAT ID in each of the European countries that you're shipping to. And you're going to have to find a customs broker who's going to work with you on indirect representation and taking on joint and several liability with you. Uh, they go down a whole different path because a misunderstanding of what they what was meant by DDP. You just mean just mean it's a billing term. We're only paying duties and taxes at, at, at checkout. The, the, the shipper is accounting for it. Uh, and when that gets misconstrued, we find merchants uh, in, in this situation where they registered for dozens of tax IDs that they didn't need. And they've really complicated their clearance model as well. Same thing for Canada, right? It's you can easily put yourself into a situation in Canada where the, the old methodology was register as a non-resident importer, ship everything on your business number, name yourself as the importer of record. That's going to make it a lot easier for you. But in the direct-to-consumer world, you want the consignee to be the importer of record. You, you want them to be the party responsible for uh, any uh, uh, duties and, and duty and tax uh, or customs and tax uh, requirements there. Uh, you don't want to go out and look for more liability for, for you to, to take on when you really don't need to. So that, that's another area that uh, often gets uh, misconstrued is when uh, who, who's whose idea are you you clearing on? Uh, it, 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 you, in, in our view, you should always name the consignee as the importer in that direct consumer shipment, and not go out of your way to to name yourself as the importer and, and become liable for for customs and tax uh, fines, penalties, and fees when when you really don't need to. Well, be. and the only issue there is that if that's the case, and you're going to allow the consignee, basically you're designating. Who's going to be responsible for clearing that shipment through customs, whether it's a de minimis or an actual entry or whatever? So with that, again, that makes a difference on your customer order system. So if the customer is going to be the importer, then the scenario there in that case would be that you're not going to assess the duties and the taxes and all that. Well, you're not going to collect them. You might assess them saying, we estimate the duties and taxes to be this, but you know, since you're going to clear it or whatever, but uh, that's up to you. So there's a difference that if you're going to be responsible for it versus your customer, right? Yeah, there is. And it's a really good point. And um, as I was speaking to earlier, when, when we do bring on a new licensed customs broker to the, to the compliance team here at Passport, uh, these are some of the, the conversations we, we often have because the, the, in their view, if you're dealing with customs clearances all day, the, the person responsible for, the, for that, uh, that import, the sold to party or their importer of record is, is clearly listed there on the commercial invoice. What we advise is there's specific language you should be including if you're a, an e-commerce merchant. You should be including specific language in your terms and your conditions that, that gives you the flexibility to appoint the broker, to account for that clearance, to manage that so you're not going out and, and getting power of attorney for each individual consignee. Uh, you're not going through all this uh these iterations here, it, it, it's fairly easy to, to transfer that ability for the for the merchant or the carrier or the customs broker to account for that clearance on behalf of the uh, the, the consignee in that destination that the consumer. And many of the activities that customs brokers or carriers used to take on for merchants like 
classifying commodities at, at destination, right? In, in your example, you can put parts on the commercial invoice and the carrier is going to figure out what's in the box and, and they're going to uh, put their own uh, HS classification and description of goods and whatever they submit to customs is going to be updated. But all that's changing. Uh, the, the ICS2 uh, regulations that just rolled out uh, a little over a week ago in Europe, the import cargo security, it requires at least an HS6 before uh, that item reaches the, the destination country in Europe, and it requires an accurate description of goods. So you're no longer at, in this position where you can just put parts on there and the carrier or the broker is going to do that work for you. That's moving upstream. So you as the, as the merchant need to have that uh, consideration in place. And uh, not only there, but uh, selling platforms, uh, Shopify makes it extremely easy to, to sell products. They also want you to put uh, at least an HS6 in it for that product in there. And uh, so it's becoming much more imp important to move that data upstream, whereas in the past it was just, it, it all worked, it all got taken care of, the thing somehow made it through customs, it got delivered, everyone's happy. And that's uh, th those are the good old days, but uh, we're in a new world here where uh, the, the commercial invoice level detail is becoming critical to, to have uh, way upstream. Up front, have all the information on that commercial invoice and in your electronic data file up front instead of on the back end when it arrives. So it's like that way it can move through like breeze lightning. I mean, packages can move at 0.85 or 85% of the speed of sound. But if you have all your information right, you can clear customs at the speed of light. So, well, any last words here, Thomas? Uh, those are the big things. I, I really appreciate the the opportunity to, to, to come in. Uh, I think we hit some some good things there with uh, de minimis and, and values and, and and speaking about indirect taxes and uh, the, the importance of commercial invoice data. Uh, even if it is an electronic uh, commercial invoice, it's still the same information that's getting submitted to customs. So uh, we're moving away from the, the old paper uh, documents quite a bit, especially in the direct consumer world. That's uh, the the same information is is right there. It's available to, to merchants, and uh, it, you know, it's it, it's uh, it's an amazing opportunity for for brands. It's never been easier to to start a business, to to get online, to to create a store in a matter of hours, and to start selling to to consumers around the world. But all that information uh, really comes into it, as you said. So you're not dealing with uh, customs holds and international returns and uh, it disgruntled customers. Uh, really important to make a good impression in that in that first order. Definitely. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, I, Lalo, I think we've had a, a good show today. I will say that uh, for our listeners, again, we're going to have the uh, contact information for Thomas, uh, for he and his company uh, with the show notes. And uh, if you have some questions or whatever, you can send a, a note to him as well as to uh, either one of us, and we will get your question to the right people to try and answer uh, the question for you. Yeah, that's so. correct. Thanks, Andy. We're, we're always happy to, to geek out on uh, trade compliance <laughs> questions. So uh, you know, feel, feel free to reach out. I love it. I love it. Great. Well, Thomas, thank you again. And uh, we are thinking that at one point we're going to probably try to do um, – Maybe not as a part of the podcast, but in partnership with our other, you know, like uh, sponsorships that we have with uh, with the company that puts this together, which is Global Training Center, where I work. 
um, on having a, like a demo day or something. Maybe we can have, we're, we're thinking of doing something like that. We'll have vendors come and do like a 15 minute, 20 minute pitch that we can record in like a, a subsection of the, of the, of the podcast. And maybe we'll have you guys come on if, if that ever does come and uh, have you guys uh, do a pitch. Attach you know? it on as a, as yeah. a demo too. It's like, you know, we can refer to it and say, you know, if you're interested in this, here's an actual demo on Passport and their their company and their products. Um, That's a great idea. There's uh, we try to be a one stop shop. There's there's some great vendors out there though for commodity classification, for duties and taxes, for land and cost. Uh, uh, it's amazing how many uh, new companies have gotten into this space and are providing these uh, trade services that, that were traditionally uh, very limited to, to forwarders that are, are serving very large customers or, uh, or carriers themselves. So uh, yeah, happy to, to be a resource there and to, uh, if we can open up the network and, and bring in some other, other groups, I think it would be fascinating for, for your uh, listeners to see. Okay, guys, we'll appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, have a good day and uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. We'll bring you back on with other topics, I'm sure. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, please do. It's an ever-changing world. Uh, I think we could just talk about Canada for, uh, for, for quite some time, right? It's, uh, and we didn't even get into the, the CARM changes in October, but that's, that's going to be massive for, for the B2B community and uh, to see how that's, how that's managed and uh, how that's addressed. Uh, a lot of these responsibilities that the customs brokers were taking on is now being pushed to the importer, whether that importer is a Canadian um, retailer or merchant or whether that importer is the, the U.S. non-resident importer. Uh, a lot of shifts there in, in their responsibilities. Thank you very much for joining us. Simply Trade is brought to you by the generous contributions of Global Training Center. You can follow the show and GTC on LinkedIn or Twitter and other social networks. Make sure you check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. Also, make sure that you share this with a friend and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. We really like hearing from you. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show or would like to sponsor Simply Trade or suggest any topic you would like for us to discuss, please contact us via email at simplytrade at globaltrainingcenter.com or you can DM us on Twitter at simplytradepod. Thank you again for the privilege of your time. Happy trading. Simply Trade is not a law firm or an advisor. The topics and discussions conducted by Simply Trade hosts and guests should not be considered and is not intended to substitute legal advice. You should seek appropriate counsel for your own situation. These conversations and information are directed towards listeners in the United States for informational, educational, entertainment purposes only and should not be substituted for legal advice. No listener or viewer of this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel. Information on this podcast may not be up to date depending on the time of publishing and the time of viewership. The content of this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free. The views expressed in or through this podcast are those of the individual speakers, not those of their respective employers or Global Training Center as a whole. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed.